Uh, my name is Will Duvall. I'm the lead pastor here at West Hills. And uh, yeah, on, on behalf of all of us at West Hills, especially if you're new, I got to meet a couple new folks already this morning. Um, it's really great to have you with us. Please do hang out after the service. We're a connecting church. We love to, to connect with one another. So please come connect with me and I'll uh, try and just be right there on, on the way, the steps on the way down so you can't escape without having to uh, introduce yourself to me at least and, and meet me. So um, we'd love to get to know you. Uh, as Missy said, we do have a, a church vote next Sunday uh, to call Thad Yessa as our new pastor of Youth and Connections. Um, what you might not know is that I thought about just pulling the plug on the whole process with Thad um, at one crucial moment during his candidate weekend with us two weeks ago. Uh, it was Sunday evening. We held a Q&A uh, for the youth group, before youth group with the students and parents, and Thad was doing a great job answering all their tough questions about his experience, his, his vision, his passion for youth ministry, but then came the most formidable question of all uh, from our own Lily Stewart. Uh, what college football team do you cheer for? <laughs> Lily was, of course, wearing her Mizzou t-shirt when she asked that. Uh, now, I will admit, I don't have a huge uh, dog in the fight anymore. Some of y'all have already commented on my SEC belt that I wear. Um, now, so I just kind of claim SEC allegiance uh, in general these days, but, but God convicted me uh, about six or seven years ago now of just how much of my life was really spent wasted in front of the TV on Saturday mornings um, for my game day preview when I woke up to, you know, when the West Coast game started because those teams are all irrelevant late in the evening um, and just go to bed, but, but just spend all day long on the couch and uh, and, and, and so I, I have sort of a personal conviction about that. If God uses that in your life this morning to convict you in the same way, your own addiction to the idol of sports, then that's all, if that's all you get out of this morning, that's a win. Uh, but I really don't care that much uh, about who you know, I cheer for anymore, as long as um, the few schools out there who deserve no happiness in their lives um, aren't the ones winning. So that's Ohio State. That's, that's Notre Dame. And most of all, do you want to know who Thad said he cheers for? Does anybody know any guesses? I mean, the youth group knows. Clemson. I, I, shud I shudder to even mention the name. Listen, I'm trying to work on loving my enemies. That, I, I purposely put this on this morning uh, because I'm working on it. God is working on me. Um, I, I shudder to, to mention Clemson and, and the House of the Lord. Uh, my hatred for that school goes back to uh, my freshman year of undergrad at Furman University. Uh, we were just half an hour down the road from Clemson, and we got scheduled. Uh, had the privilege of being their warm-up game that season, 2003, their uh, sacrificial lamb, week one. Uh, so my new college buddies and I decided we'd take a road trip down to Death Valley and cheer on our paladins. So we pull into the parking lot, sea of orange, and we, we must have been the, the last spot in the entire uh, parking lot because I, I promise we had to walk at least a quarter of a mile in our Furman hats, our purple, my purple polo, through this sea of orange. And speaking of words that shouldn't be said in church, uh, let's just say that we were not greeted warmly by the Clemson fan. <laughs> And the reception only got worse once we got in the stadium. People throwing stuff at us, flipping us off, 
yelling at us. Every time they scored a touchdown, which was frequently, I think they beat us 63 to nothing, um, it wasn't enough for them to cheer for their team. They had entire cheers designed to make us feel bad for being Furman fans. And I, I can still remember sitting there in the stadium thinking to myself, I don't belong here. This is not a safe place for me. <laughs> belonging. That's what we're talking about this morning. Belonging, I think, is one of the most powerful concepts in the entire English language. In fact, I would argue belonging is the real reason why we have a sports addiction in the first place. Sociologists and psychologists agree belonging is one of the most fundamental needs as a human species. Maslow placed it just below our basic needs for food, water, shelter, safety on his famous hierarchy of needs. Relationship, connection to others, a sense of belonging. It's inherent. It's universal. We all have it. It's, it's part of what it means that we are made in the image of God. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The pre-existent Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is relational to his very core, created us in his own image for relationship with one another. We all want to belong somewhere. So the question before us this morning is, where? Where do you most want to belong? Think back with me. How much of your life have you spent trying to fit in? At the cool kids' lunch table, on the team that got picked first for PE, at your top choice college, the dream job you applied for, your boss and his inner circle that you've been trying to break into, with the cool parents at the PTA, with the in-laws that you've been try trying to impress for years, they still don't really accept you as one of their own. Maybe at West Hills. Perhaps you've been visiting for a while here and you're thinking, man, this seems like a pretty cool church, but how, what does it mean to truly belong there? Come to our membership class on October 13th to find out. Where is it that you most want to belong this morning? This morning we're going to examine a series of five passages as we continue our study through the Gospel of Mark this year. And we're going to see Jesus answer the question of what it means to belong with him, to belong to him. And Jesus is going to define belonging with him in contrast to over and against belonging in the world. And so I'm going to draw five uh, sets, or well, four sets of contrasts here. Five texts, four major points, four contrasts here between what it means to belong in the world versus belonging with Jesus. And for the sake of time and simplicity today, we normally stand for the reading of God's Word. I, I will just let you stay seated, and we're going to read each passage as we come to it, since we're going to be jumping around a little bit. But let's begin together this morning with prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come here this morning, a collection of a lot of different people, a lot of different walks of life, and our hearts are in likely in very different places. 
want to belong in a lot of different places, a lot of different circles. <clears throat> but one thing is for sure, we all want to belong. We all want to feel at home, to feel at peace somewhere. Father, I pray that you would use your word this morning, the power of your Holy Spirit, to convict us, to challenge us, to move us in our affections for you, um, to reveal to us your affections for us. Your word tells us that we love because you first loved us. Jesus, would you show us here now through your word how much you love us that we might be called to you, drawn to you. And Father, if you would see fit to adopt someone into your family this morning, give them a new, radically new sense of belonging to you, with you this morning. Father, I pray you would do a supernatural work in the hearts of people this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> and we're going to start in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35, with contrast number one. Belonging in the world is a matter of your birth. Belonging with Jesus is about your rebirth. Look with me at Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, speaking of wanting to fit in, the scene that came to mind for me as I read this passage this morning, it's like that scene in every teenage coming-of-age movie where the kid's parents go out of town for the weekend and he decides that it'd be a great time to throw a party for the entire high school. But instead of kegs and shots. This crowd is drawn by Jesus' miracles, his teaching. We hear in chapter 1, the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. We hear they were astonished at his teaching, and his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. But here in verse 31 is that moment in the movie when predictably, the parents come back from vacation early, caught, caught an early flight home, and they can't even manage to push their way back inside their own house. And so Mary and Joseph cut the power to the house. The lights go out. The music stops. Right? And then Jesus hears from the front porch. Someone yells in, hey, Jesus, your parents are back. And in verse 32, there's a collective groan from the crowd. Man, party's over. They start to slowly head for the door. When Jesus yells in verse 33, wait, who are my mother and my brothers? You guys are my family. And everyone kind of looks around silently at one another for a moment. 
And then Peter yells, party! And the lights come back on and the music fires back up and Jesus goes back to healing and teaching again. Now, if that sounds like a different ending to the films that, that, that you've seen, a different ending than perhaps you'd expect from Jesus here with regard to how he relates to his family, that is for good reason. This story is radical. In fact, of all the radical things that Jesus does and says in the Gospels, this has got to be up there. This, it's, it's difficult, I think, for you and me to appreciate just how important one's biological uh, family of origin was in first century Palestine. Today, in 21st century America, if you don't like your family, you wait till you're, till you're 18 and you say, peace, good riddance, right? And you go and you chase, you chase your dreams, you follow your heart, and when you don't actually make it big in Hollywood, we have governmental society, you know, social safety nets, structures put in place now to make sure you don't starve or freeze to death anymore. But back then, they didn't have any of those things. Back then, your family was your only lifeline. Young boys were apprenticed to their father and the family trade. Young girls were married off to promising young boys of family friends, and that was your safety net. Your family was your lifeline, your only recourse. To turn your back on your family was literally to take your life in your own hands, to risk your life. But Jesus says, family? What family? You're my family. Why? Well, because we know from John chapter 7, verse 5, that early in Jesus' ministry here, not even his brothers believed in him. That's what John tells us. In fact, it wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection and ascension that we hear in Acts 1.14 that his whole family came to faith in him. And Jesus wants to make it crystal clear here that belonging with him is not a matter of genetics. This is radical. The world says family is everything, right? Nothing is more important than family. The Godfather, parenthood, all the best movies, TV shows, books, I mean, they all attest to this truth. When we're lying on our deathbeds, we're not going to regret having not spent more time in the office. What are we supposed to regret? Not having spent time with family, right? But according to Jesus, blood is not, in fact, thicker than water. There is something that is even more fundamental to our identity than our biological DNA. You say, Jesus, what? how could that be? What, what, what could be more basic, more defining to who I am as a human being than the genetic coding that is literally written into every cell of my body? Jesus says it's your spiritual DNA. Whoever does the will of God, that's my real brother, my real sister, my real mother. Spiritual family. What's he talking about there? What is the will of God? 2 Peter 3.9 tells us what God's will is. God's desire. Peter says, The Lord does not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is how you do the will of the Father, friends. It's not really a doing at all. It's a surrendering. Surrendering from doing. Repentance means giving up. Stop trying to do things to please God. What is his will? That you confess you're not good enough that you turn from your attempts at self-justification 
and come to a saving knowledge of the truth that it is only in Christ that you can be found righteous, that you can be made righteous by his atoning death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. That is the will of God in Christ for you this morning, friend. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want to do the will of God? You want to please your Father? You can't do it without faith. Stop trying so hard and surrender to Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus, he promises, he gives us a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. And he accomplishes this, John 3, by means of a second birth. We are all born once, physically. But in John chapter 3, Jesus informs Nicodemus that those who truly belong to him are those who have been spiritually reborn. Not just by water, when your mother's water broke while she was in physical labor with you. We've all been born that way, by water. But no, Jesus says, those who have been born by water and the Spirit. Look at it with me. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We've all been born of the flesh, friends. Some of us in this room have been reborn in the Spirit to eternal life. Romans 8, verses 8 and 9. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Been born once, cannot please God. You, however, Christian, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not what? Belong to him. You want to belong with Christ, you have to be reborn. So I ask you this morning, friends, have you been reborn? Have you been spiritually born again? I'm not talking about being raised in the church. I'm not talking about having the right spiritual... Spiritual DNA is not passed down like biological DNA. You don't get it from your your parents. It doesn't happen by osmosis. Have you been born again? You, personally. There are only two types of people in the world. Those who have been born once and those who have been born twice. Both will die physically. Only one type will truly live spiritually. Follow-up question If you've been born again, through your repentance of sin and your faith in Jesus, how much of your identity, your sense of belonging, do you now find in your new spiritual DNA as opposed to the old ways that you used to try and fit in? Without getting too political here, can we just admit, acknowledge that we live in a world that is filled with identity politics today? Like our world, our society loves to separate us out into categories based on all sorts of identity markers that it claims are most 
supreme when it comes to our identity, your race, your gender, your sexuality, your socioeconomic status. The world says that is who you are. That's the camp you belong in. Pit us against each other. Jesus says, whatever identity markers uh, you used to use to determine where you belonged, your race, your sexuality, your occupation, your romantic relationships, what high school you went to, St. Louisans, whatever identity markers you used to use, he says in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If compared to your new identity in me, in Jesus, all those other identity markers don't look like hatred, they don't look silly, irrelevant, if we can't worship together, as black and brown and, and from every nation, tribe, tongue, gender, sexuality. If we can't worship together, if our identity in Christ is not bigger than all those other things combined, if they don't look like hatred, then you don't belong to Jesus. That's what he says. This is the kind of radical identity shift that could cause a former Christian-killing Jewish zealot like the Apostle Paul, to claim there is now neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Wow. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's a radical promise, friends. For a former Pharisee like Paul to include Gentiles like you and me in, that's actually a good segue to our second text. Second text is contrast is in Mark 9, verses 38 to 41. Belonging in the world is a matter of exclusivity. Belonging with Jesus is about inclusion. Mark 9, 38 through 41 says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. But Jesus says, don't stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Belonging in the world is about exclusion. It's as much about which team you cheer against, Clemson, as who you cheer for. Belonging to the country club is as much about who you can keep out, the riffraff, as it is who you let in. If everyone belonged at my dinner table, if, if, if just anyone could claim to be a Duval, then pretty soon my family identity, Duval, loses all sense of meaning. To a certain extent, our identity in this world depends on our being exclusive. But Jesus says whoever isn't against us is for us. Now, we have to be careful here in our interpretation uh, because John 14, 6 tells us there is some exclusivity here. John 14, 6 is an exclusive claim. Jesus unequivocally declares, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an exclusive claim. But at the same time, Jesus tells his disciples before that in John chapter 10, 
Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. There will be one flock, one shepherd. What's he talking about there? He's talking about his mission to the Gentiles in context. Again, I don't want to overuse the word, but I don't think we can overstate just how radical this new idea would have been for a first century Jew. They had been taught for two millennium now, going back to Abraham, Father Abraham. Remember him from Sunday school? Had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Well, guess what? If you try, you and I, most of us anyways, I don't know any Jews here, if most of us tried to sing to them in Jesus' day that I am one of them and so are you, we'd probably get stoned. You're not a son of Abraham. You're not a child of the covenant in their eyes. That's the children of Israel, the Jewish people, his chosen people. And if one's immediate family of origin was a core identity marker for Jesus' listeners, their religious, ethno-religious identity as Jews was just as central. From birth, they were taught to see the world in us versus them categories. Us versus them, insider, outsider, clean, unclean, Jew, Gentile. That's how they saw the whole world. If you're not with us, you're against us. In fact, in the Old Testament, God's people got themselves into the most trouble when they started becoming too inclusive, intermarrying, worshiping foreign gods, not being separate enough, exclusive enough. And then here comes Jesus claiming, if you're not against me, you're for me. Brothers and sisters, I just want to ask you this morning, does our faith make room for people who don't believe exactly like you and me? Do you know that there are going to be non-West Hillians with us in heaven? Did you know that? <laughs> I sure hope so. I don't, not to offend, but I, I think I'd get pretty bored with the same 200 of y'all for all eternity. <laughs> Did you know there are going to be non-Baptists in heaven? Non-Reformed thinkers in heaven? Non-Evangelical Christians in heaven? Did you know there are going to be some Catholics? Some of them, anyways, in heaven. Did you know that? It's so easy to get entrenched in our own little camps in the Christian world and forget about the big picture. Jesus has got sheep who aren't in this fold. You say, well, pastor, where's the line then? I mean, we're not universalists, right? John 14, 6, not everybody gets into heaven. The line, very simply, friends, is the gospel. We've already talked about it, but we'll just keep coming back to it every point and every week because it's everything for us as believers. The gospel is everything. The gospel is the clear dividing line that separates all of humanity into really only two camps, those who believe and those who don't those who confess, repent, and believe in the good news, and those who don't. Which camp are you in? Do you belong to Jesus this morning? The gospel is the most radically inclusive message in the history of humanity, of any religion out there. It's the power of salvation for all who believe, Paul says, Jew and Gentile. It's good news for everyone, every nation, every tribe, every tongue on the planet gets included. God desires that none should perish, that all should be saved, but you've got to repent and believe. Have you done it? Have you done it this morning?
Do you belong to Jesus? Dichotomy number three, Mark chapter nine, we stay there, back up to verses 42 to 48. Belonging in the world is a matter of being worldly. Belonging with Jesus is about hating sin. Belonging with Jesus is about hating sin. Mark 9 says, Whoever causes one of the least of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So for starters, I think this passage begs the question, does Jesus mean this literally? I mean, did, did he actually mean for us to take his warning against sin here so seriously that we could literally cut off our hands, pluck out our eyes if they cause us to sin? And I will just answer the only answer I can offer you on behalf of myself and every other male in this room who's gone through puberty. I hope not. I, I pray that he doesn't mean this literally. And I think not. Why? Because the sad reality is that even without hands and eyes, we would still find new ways to sin. We would invent ways to sin. Why? Because remember Mark 7 from just a few weeks back, it's not what is outside of a man that comes into him that defiles him, but what? What comes out of a person that defiles him. For from within, verse 21, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. Now, the flip side of that, lest we be too quick to let ourselves off the hook and fail to take Jesus really seriously here. It's a really serious warning this morning is that yes, our hearts matter most, but at the same time, yes, our hands, our feet, and our eyes really matter too. What we do, where we go, what we see, our hands, feet, eyes, they really do matter. Why? Because they affect our heart. Matthew 6, 23, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. It's the wind of your soul, right? But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Yes, it's true that what comes out of us is what defiles us, but it's also true what they say, garbage in, garbage out. So Jesus warns us in no uncertain terms here in Mark chapter 9, do not abide the garbage. Make no provision for the flesh. It would be better to cut your hand off, to pluck your eye out. That's how much Jesus wants us to hate 
sin. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Like I said, we invent a lot of ways to sin. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So I ask you this morning, friends, do you hate sin? Do you hate your own sin? The sin that comes from within you, that lives in your heart. Have you crucified it? Have you put it to death today? This is a daily battle, by the way. Sometimes a moment-by-moment struggle. It's not as simple as crucified my flesh 30 years ago when I first accepted Christ. Oh, if only it were that easy, right? Jesus calls us to die daily to self. Take up your cross daily. Die to sin. Put it to death. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Not just because God commands us to. That should be enough. Not just because it's the right thing to do. Not just because it will make us ultimately and infinitely more satisfied, filling our hearts with Jesus instead of the garbage that this world has to offer. Yes, we do it for all those reasons, but as much as for anything, we put our sin to death because this is what it means to belong with Jesus. Polly and I are getting ready to adopt a baby boy in November, as you know. But we don't get adopted into God's family as newborns, do we? You and I. We bring all kinds of baggage. And I was thinking about that this this week, that metaphor. Imagining what it would be like if we were to adopt a teenager instead. Who had been used and abused and lied to all his life. Because that's really what sin does to us, isn't it? Sin promises a good time, and then it ultimately leaves us feeling empty, lied to, used. I imagine what kinds of self-protective, but ultimately self-destructive habits and coping mechanisms that teenager might bring with him into our family having come to believe that that's all he's worth. He's worth being abused. That he deserves to be used and lied to. And how many times I have to pull him aside and grab him by the shoulders and look him in the eyes and say, you don't have to do that anymore. That was your old life. But you belong here now. 
not, not, in, a, not in a threatening way, like, like you better shape up and represent the Duval name better or else. Not like that. It's like, buddy, we just don't do that in this family. We, we don't treat each other that way. We, we don't talk to each other that way. We don't treat ourselves that way. We love each other too much, and I love you too much to watch you devalue yourself and others that way. Friends, Jesus hates our sin. He hates it because he knows the effect it has on our hearts. And he really, really cares about our hearts. And if you belong to him, you'll care too. And you'll hate your sin. Lastly, two passages, Mark 9, 33 to 37, Mark 10, 13 to 16. Running short on time to discuss them as much as they deserve, but we'll end with these two. Belonging in the world is a matter of power. Belonging with Jesus is about humility. We hear in Mark 9, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. We'll go ahead and read Mark 10 as well, verses 13 to 16. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Friends, the world trades in power. Who's got the bigger corner office? Who's Who's got more money? more spending power, who cares about this relationship less because that gives me power over you in a relationship. If you're being vulnerable with me, to love someone else is to be vulnerable, is to give them the power, the potential to hurt you. Who holds the power? That's what it's about in the world. This is how the world works. We are all born as power brokers who use whatever little power we've been given to leverage, to manipulate, to coerce others into doing what we want them to, and to try and gain, little by little, more power. That's the way the world works. Jesus says, that doesn't make you great. Not with me, anyway. You want to be great in the world's eyes? Sure, go for it. You want to belong to the world? Go ahead, climb the corporate ladder, step on as many people as you need to to get to the top. You want to belong with me? 
Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Don't misinterpret that passage. This is not about faith versus reason, who can shut their brain off the most, to have faith like a child and believe things that only children can believe. That's, that's not what this is about. These passages are both about power and humility. There are those in this world with power over others. The disciples, in this case, in this passage, the disciples who have the power to restrict people from coming to Jesus. And then there are those with no power. Little children, the most vulnerable members in first century society. And Jesus uses this power differential, this power dynamic, as a spiritual metaphor, a spiritual word picture to say, if you're not willing to give up all your power, to lay down your pride, to take up your cross, to deny yourself, to recognize that heaven is the one place where your money, your influence, your power means nothing, if you won't become like vulnerable little children, Father, please have mercy on me, a sinner. I need you. I cannot do enough to earn my way to heaven. I bring nothing to this relationship. I depend on you. You must save me. It's the healthy who need the doctor, not the sick. It's the <laughs> Flip that around. It's the sick who need the doctor, not the healthy. The sick. The lost, the broken, the desperate, the powerless, the humble, the needy. Is that you this morning?